Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Juicing the Big Screen, your movies discussion and review podcast. I am one of your critics, Josh Tracy. And I am the other, Corwin Heller. And we're talking about the 2020 Pixar film Soul and the 2010, Jesus, uh, 2010 uh, uh, film Black Swan. I just like lost the word movie. Uh, <laughs> Corwin, are you ready to get started? Yep. All right. Uh, do you want to? Where do you want to start today? Uh, I don't know. I don't care. All right. Let's start with Black Swan then. Let's save. Let's save the Oscars he picked for a second. Sure. Um, he said before discussing a movie that won an Oscar. Uh, <laughs> uh, Black Swan came. <laughs> Yeah, right. Black Swan came out in 2010. It was directed by Darren Aronofsky. Uh, screenplay was written by by Mark Heyman, Andre Hines, uh, John J. McLaughlin. And the story was by Andre Hines. Uh, it stars Natalie Portman, Mila Kunis, and Vincent Castle. Um it had an estimated budget of $13 million and a cumulative worldwide gross of $330 million. I would call that successful. Jeez, uh, that ROI. Um, its tagline is, I just want to be perfect. Sounds accurate. Honestly, you know, for all things considered, that's one of one of the best, I think. I think so, honestly. It's short, it's sweet, it's concise in what you know, and how fitting it is with the movie. Um, I like that one a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm a fan of this one, actually. Um, it won one Oscar on the back of five nominations. It won for Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role for Natalie Portman. It was also nominated for Best Motion Picture of the Year for Mike Medavoy, Brian Oliver, and Scott Franklin. Nominated for Best Achievement in Directing for Darren Aronofsky. Best Cinematography for Matthew Libatique, and Best Achievement in Film Editing for Andrew Weisblum. Um, it, w- it, w- it is about a committed dancer struggling to maintain her sanity after winning the lead role in a production of Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake. Corwin, this... Swan Lake? Huh? Have you ever seen Swan Lake? No. Yeah. Um, uh, but this was your pick, so why don't you get us started? Oh boy, um, I don't even know where to start with this. This was kind of what I expected. I mean, this is not a, a recent release, so obviously living in society where we watch a lot of movies, we talk to a lot of people about a lot of different movies, they're discussed often, and so you pick up on things, and really the only thing I knew about Black Swan was it was about her like transformation from the white swan to the black swan which by all means is very much what it is about um i mean that transition is very obvious both physically and mentally i did not realize how deep into the mental aspects of it that we were going to get uh i was kind of blown away at parts by natalie portman's performance i thought she was incredible a uh, huge step up from playing uh, Princess Amidala in uh, Star Wars. No big deal. That being said, I I really enjoyed the 
terror aspect of it, the thriller aspect that was very much horror to an extent. Um, I fear schizophrenia on a whole nother level at this point. Um, and I thought it was a very well put together movie. It didn't blow me away as a full package, but all in all, I thought it was extremely well done, well acted, well directed. Um, great movie. Yeah, this, um, you know, it feels like this is our, our second week back to back talking about a horror film. Um, and, you know, it, it's funny because, like, I knew this had a lot of this, those psychological horror aspects of it, but I haven't seen it in so long that I kind of glazed over that part of it um, and just start, I've been, you know, recollecting it as a lot of very dramatically shot uh, dance sequences, which it absolutely is, but it's a lot more than that, too. Um, and I got reminded very, you know, sharply how much this film is shot like a horror movie like there's nothing else it's not like it's trying to use aspects of horror this is shot like a horror film um straight up and while it doesn't do so much in the world of horror that a more typical directly horror film would um it is still so much so in living in that genre that I think it 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 has earned the the genre title of being basically just a horror. Um, I, I would definitely consider it a psychological horror, not a a standard horror. I don't know. Yeah, it's, much, it's not like, like it's a slasher movie. Yeah. Well, I think what you're getting at is like it's not it. There is like there is physical horror in this in like a, in this, there's like body horror. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not like murder hard even when you think there is there isn't like a quote-unquote jump scare every now and again nothing too uh out there nothing too significant but enough Enough. right and i i i think that that makes this work so well because i think what's challenging about this film is corwin do you know anything about ballet? No. I know it hurts your feet, which they showed, but I thought would be a bigger impact. Other than that, n- nothing. I would say a, a solid nothing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Have you, have you ever been to any ballet? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I went to a Spanish ballet once, but that's it. Um, brag about it. Hey, shout outs to fucking what theater did I see that? Oh man, Mayo Performing Arts Center. Shout out to Mayo Performing Arts Center. Anyway, um, that is it's around, (laughs) but you know, like, and the thing is, most people aren't. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of kids that like did ballet when they were younger you know who did it from like i don't know four to nine or some shit that point in everyone's age when they do a bunch of goofy sports that their parents signed them up for and you just did it because your parents signed you up for it right and then yeah yeah everyone has those fucking things um so i'm sure there's a lot of people that like did ballet as kids um but that's not the same as being involved in it and this film does a great job of making something that not only are we not 
typically exposed to as a conventional hobby, you know, doing ballet, but also does a great job of making interesting something that we don't um, consume a lot of. Because hmm. um, we also don't watch a lot of ballet as people. Even if you do watch a lot of ballet, respective to how much you watch other things, it probably still isn't that much ballet. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, and and to make that interesting, I think, I because I think one of the things I really took away from this is how much filmmaking is happening in this movie. Hmm. Um, because this film, if it was shot a different way, I don't think would land. And I don't even mean without the jump scares. I mean, without the use of lighting that they went for, without the use of shaky cam to to make what should be because you know ballet part of the reason they wear tutus and have their their arms very spread out is to show the level and evenness and the perfection of their balance and to have it be contrasted so sharply with using shaky cam instead of a steady cam really put on display the the uh, the idea of uh contrast that this film is going for so heavily with the white black contrast the good bad the demure and, and sexy and, and all that shit that they have going on throughout the film um i i think this film lives and dies on the back of its genuine like the film making of it not the dialogue not even necessarily the plot that like you know the ins and outs nuts and bolts of how they did it because i think without it it would just be boring hmm. because this is a tough subject for an average person to get into uh I kind of want to go back and watch this again so I could I could really see that a second time see that um what you mean by that cuz that is very intriguing Yeah cuz uh no more Because it, so so when I took photography classes in like college one of the things that that I got told, and you hear this for like a lot of different types of hobbies and shit. It's not just a photography thing. You hear it all the time. Um, you, you know, here's three things you need two of them. And in photography, it was um, your your options of things that you can shoot. You need to make it to make a good picture. You need to have um, two of three. You need to have an interesting subject, uh, interesting lighting, or interesting color. You got to have two out of three. And this film nailed the lighting part so fucking well so well that even at times when the color wasn't very interesting or when the subject matter wasn't very interesting the 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 lighting and the use of camera angles and um editing was so evident in the best way that i think it really carried this film in addition to how well natalie portman uh performed in this how perfectly cast mila kunis was in this um and how great of a job I think that French guy's name is Vincent Castle. I really don't disagree. Yep. I guess, uh, speaking of which, um, I guess let's kind of get into the, the characters a little bit. Um, tell me your thoughts on Mila Kunis in this. Chick eats muff. What more do you need to know? <laughs> High-level analysis from Corwin Hill. This is <laughs> premier stuff. This is why... The New York Times is in contact with me. I was going to say, when are you started the uh, Chicago Sun-Times? Uh-huh. Uh, they're actually in contact for a, uh, a restraining order, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. Um, 
But in all seriousness, I, I think she did a good job of playing the quote-unquote antagonist, despite it not necessarily being clear that she is an antagonist, or if she really is an antagonist. Um, I thought that was a fun little playoff, uh, the way they had that set up. Um, I don't know. I just, whenever that is implemented in a movie, having something where you are doubting yourself and what you are being shown, whether it be doubting the protagonist, main character's um, mental state, whether it's any number of things, just doubting your own self and your own memory and your own uh, sense of reality is really fun. Yeah, and I, I think this film also did that to such an amazing degree. Yeah, yeah, I think exactly. I think we're we've seen enough of that plot twist to kind of look out for it and be used to it in a lot of ways. Um the whole oh man, it was it was all me the whole time. I was the bad guy. And that's not to say it can't work. It obviously can still work, otherwise they'd stop making movies like that. Um <laughs> But this film did such a great job of making you second, third, and fourth guess as to whether or not what was happening was real. Um, because it committed to a lot of different aspects of what Natalie Portman was seeing being what was actually going on. Like, the fact that, like, she killed Mila Kunis. And there's no spoilers. This movie came out a decade ago. Uh, it's just nutty to me. I, I know, because I remember so vividly when this came out. But anyway... Um, the, you know, the idea that she kills Mila Kunis, drags her body, and, and like afterwards you expect some level of like snapping out of it. Nope, she's looking at a dead body. Mm-hmm. And then she drags that dead body into a, the, the bathroom in her, in her um, uh, I don't know, what, are they, what do you call those rooms? Dressing room. Dressing room, thank you. Um, and then you still expect her to snap out of it. She still doesn't. She goes and performs a dance number, comes back down, and the body's still there for a little bit. Um, and like they, that gave you like three different opportunities for you to be like, ah, oh, it's not real. Oh, it's not real. And then every time it said, nope, this is still what's happening before it eventually backed off and went back to the root of the film, which is that this is a psychological breakdown that this woman's having and none of it's real, but it really lingered so much on it that, um, it really had you questioning yourself all over the place as to what was real and what wasn't. It's just so fun. Like to get how like because you know you and I Corbin we watch a lot of fucking movies. Yeah. D- did you second guess yourself while watching this? Completely. How hard is that to do? For the first time and not. How how hard is that to get out of you? A second guessing while watching a movie like this? Um I could be pretty dumb sometimes, so I won't go out and say it's a you know it's this huge event. At the same time, it's it's still significant, right? And and that's exactly what I'm getting at. Is it's not like it's not like you and I can never be fooled, right? I you know part of the fun of movies is that we're going to be. Um, Those Nigerian I don't wanna... princes, man, they just really love it. They always get me. Yeah. Getting fooled. What'd you say? <laughs> Getting fooled by Nigerian princes. Ah, yeah, it's a it's a staple of my uh, my email diet. Mm-hmm. Um, 
No, but but the you know obviously if we knew what was going to happen in every movie, we'd stop watching movies. It wouldn't be fun. But at the same time, we're very used to a lot of conventions, and so the idea that this one could get you on a concept we've seen a lot of, and still get you, you know, it it it's it's like it's like a joke you know is coming, mm-hmm. that will still make you laugh, even though you know exactly what they're going to say. If it's done right it'll still absolutely get you to laugh. That's mm-hmm. this movie, but with psychological fuckery. Oh, it's really well done. Really, really, really well done. Oh, I, I, I know. I, I absolutely adore it. Um, so, the, one of the things I kept thinking was all, all the black and white contrasts, because there's a lot of them throughout the film. Um, as you would expect from this kind of movie. Yeah. Right, right. And that, that's actually what I was going to ask you, is that, like, you know, when you see all of these scenes of, like, Natalie Portman wearing white and Mila Kunis wearing black, um, it gets to a certain point where it's like, all right, all right, all right, I got it. I understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At the same time, though, if they weren't there, it would be super weird. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of those things where with it, it's just kind of okay. Obviously, it's there. It's nothing special. But if you were to go around and and take out that imagery, take out that really foundational, fundamental symbolism, it wouldn't feel like this movie makes sense or that contrast, that, that connection between the two would even exist. Um, and so sure, to some extent we could talk shit and be like, oh, this wasn't super well done, this, that, and seven other things. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's so necessary. Right. And I, I think, and I'm going to call myself out as being a fucking idiot in this moment. Um, because I think what I finally realized is that, Hey, I don't have to pick them all out. (laughs) Um, because I spend a lot of time like looking for those little things. Because um, I think it's fun. Like I'm not trying to make myself sound like a you know goddamn detective. I just I just enjoy that. And it got to a point where I was like, all right, there's so much black and white contrast between what Natalie Portman is doing or wearing and what someone else is doing or wearing that like this is just getting ridiculous. And then I had the thought to myself of, or you big colossal fucking idiot, um, this is just part of like the scenery and it is meant to be witnessed if but not necessarily seen the same way happy events taking place on a sunny day are um and that's just part of setting a mood um because i think whether we if we sat here and picked out all the different scenes with black and white contrast or we didn't um point them out at all and you didn't even really notice them I think the effect is probably still there, right? Yeah. No, absolutely. And I, it took me, uh, it took me a good twenty six years of watching movies to realize, hey, fucko, you don't need to find all of them. <laughs> no, but how else are you going to know every single detail and be able to tell every single person you know every detail about it? How right. Else? How else will I feel superior? Exactly. There's just certain things we have to do. 
so, um, in terms of the the plot of this movie, mm-hmm. it is a pretty straightforward plot. Um, the time aspect, how long things take, and what duration of time this film actually covers. We're not huh? Talking about Tenet anymore? No more time. Oh, We're not talking about time. <laughs> We're not talking about Tenet. Uh, <laughs> check out last week's episode. Um, that that part is a little bit murky. I'm not sure it really matters. Um, but the idea being, uh, Natalie Portman is uh, in the New York ballet. I assume. Um, anyway, doesn't matter. And she is one of the the dancers. She gets chosen to audition for the lead role in Swan Lake. She gets the role. This all happens in the first like five minutes of the movie. And then the rest of it is the pressure, internal and external, um, starting to affect her psychologically as she prepares for uh, her first performance uh, and ultimately, ultimately deteriorating her mental state. And that's really the whole movie. So like the first 10, 15 minutes is set up, maybe that, probably less. And then the hour and a half that follows is just a slow burn um, descent into into uh, unreality, I guess. Um, so how how effective did you find this particular slow burn film? I thought it was very effective. I wouldn't say it was the most. I don't know why I even needed to bring that up. Um, okay, she got it, and now this is just making it so much worse. I think it did a really good job of strong, strong, outspoken woman, and the way that she transforms into... Oh God, it's hard to put her collapse mentally from this was something that start and ramps up immediately that you don't realize that. I don't think it's going to be a psychological psych- horror film. It feels more like body horror. You know, she's having this problem with like, like the hangnails and her toes and like a bunch of that type of shit. And that also would have made like total sense for a movie about ballet because, you know, it's, it's, it's a 
it's a sport like you know dealing with shit fucking with your body seems like it would make sense and seeing stress affect her physically i think also would have been a good movie and it's not until uh i guess the post mila kunis sex scene where she had confronts mila kunis later on and mila kunis is like i didn't come back to your apartment um, where you then start to realize that, like, and, and they start to reveal that the body horror stuff wasn't even real, you start realizing, oh, no, no, no. None of what happened in the first hour of this film happened. She is losing her fucking mind. And then, then it becomes, like you said, a huge rush of all of the kind of mind psychological horror coming in way faster and, like, pouring on. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't, because not only did she not realize it, we didn't realize it as the audience. It just seemed like her toes got fucked up. Right. Um, and I think that just makes it so much more effective because, again, it's another instance where we get fooled to the film's benefit. I wish. No, let me let me stop. Pause. Let this go and actually try and compose a sentence before our talking and hoping I can piece it together. <laughs> fair, yes. en- f- fair enough. Fair enough. We 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 all have these moments. Um, let me. Uh, so it, it it's tough to dig out from like the middle section of this film because it really is just that slow burn. Here we go. I'm gonna fuck me Lacunas and and then lie about it or. Whatever. Um, the ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. So after after we find out that, or after Natalie Portman makes the discovery that she didn't kill kill Mila because there was no body in in her bathroom, and Mila Kunis came by to say, "Hey, great job dancing." Um, she realized I didn't kill Mila Kunis. So what body did I stab? It stabbed herself uh, in in the the stomach, and she goes out and makes her final dance, in which the the black swan commits suicide, and assumingly dies on stage, or I guess just off stage. Um, and it is a very loud ending for how, how ominous and quiet and internal the rest of the film prior had been mm-hmm. and it's a very sharp contrast into what we had just seen so Corin, what do you think of the ending and like how did you interpret and absorb it i about like 20 minutes before the movie actually ended and things were all just kind of like falling apart and we weren't sure of where things were going to go this that and a bunch of other things it really was just kind of like I am at this point just incredibly curious for how this all pieces together. And that isn't something that usually happens when I watch a movie. I usually don't end up sitting around wondering what's going to happen. I just sit and experience it and let it happen in front of me and 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 just experience it rather than trying to predict it. This I had absolutely no idea. Um, and all things considered, 
for the eighth time that I'll say that phrase today. I think this ended about as well as it could in given the situation that they were trying to um, set up. And I think leaving the final, what would you call it? The, the results of, not the results, but the, the outcome for Natalie Portman's character where it's, it could have happened. It, it, she could have lived, she could have died, leaving it up to interpretation. Um, I like the way they executed it. I thought it was a, a very well done job. Um, if I had to guess, I'd say she's about as dead as it gets, but hey, that's not for us to decide. I think. Yeah, we we, we ain't fucking doctors. I don't know if you survived some shit like that. She danced um, around a lot with that piece of glass in her. I can't imagine her insides are much the better. But at the same time, and you know, it, there's also a fairly good chance that it didn't exactly cut up anything vitally important that couldn't be relatively saved it didn't look like she lost the significant amount of blood who knows knows? Uh, they did a very good job of not showing their hand per se of the full extent of of how much damage was done what the reality of the situation is for you know survivability sake I I do love this conclusion because you know it it got talked about like the whole movie you know they talked about the plot of Swan Lake the whole movie and then they did the plot in Lake um or she gets t- turned into this black swan by this this guy and you know that guy being represented by the director and it ultimately, and the, uh, the swan hates that she can't be with the the one she loves, and I guess we're going to call that perfection. It'll be so much of a of a of a manifested thing as it will be, or of a um, concept in that respect. And um, she ultimately commits suicide, which happens in the movie. Uh, and I, I think one of us actually knows the plot line of Swan Lake. Well, they did say it um, a couple times. Um, Yes. Uh, The director said it once while they were all dancing on stage. And then Natalie Portman recalled it on the date. About her killing herself at the end? No, about the plot of Swan Lake. Okay. Um, In which, at the end, the black swan kills itself. Okay. And I think... Whether you, again, another thing, whether you absorb it or not, I I think having this be set, because it, 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 it's almost in some ways like like a, a modern retelling, mm-hmm. um, but, it, it, but it's not because, you know, obviously these are not literal swans, uh, except for that one scene, I guess. Uh, and <laughs> and uh, it, it's also Swan Lake doesn't deal with like psychological horror and body horror uh, and all that shit as far as you know true i am not a swan uh um i still think i think having the it be set to this and then therefore allowing a very natural 
type of exposition, basically, uh, and the retelling of the story of Swan Lake um, makes it a very accessible and and easily presentable and easily digestible way for audiences to be able to understand what you're getting at with it. Um, mm-hmm. Because if you were to rewatch it and focus on those scenes, which, again, I'm very bad at doing two things at once in, in a lot of ways. And I'm, I, I've watched this movie like a half a dozen times and I still can't remember the fucking plot of Swan fucking Lake until they say it in the goddamn movie. Um, you'll, you'll get a lot of what this film is trying to talk about. Um, granted, you have to make some artistic assumptions with who represents what or what represents what, this idea of perfection and you know that being probably her white swan and this idea of letting loose a lot of that and giving into more carnal desires in certain ways being the black swan coupled in with um the frenchy french guy but um i i I choose to think she dies because i think it's more fitting of the ballet that that they're performing and i think it caps off that that part of the uh source material i guess you might be able to call it uh better than if she lives and i think that's where i come out on Okay. I could, I get behind that. Right, I one kind other of qu- view it as she reached the peak of what her goal was, what she was trying to accomplish. And, you know, I'm sure we can discuss the connection with our next movie. But once she has reached that point of fulfillment in her life, that is, that is enough. That is her life her cycle is complete and she's fine and can move on to the next movie happy and content right uh before we do though one other question uh do you think natalie portman in this film uh killed um or at least i guess severely maimed uh winona Ryder's character in the hospital with the show. Uh, no, I don't think so. If I had to guess, I would say no. All right. Let's not put money on it, but eh, I don't think so. I also want to say yes, only because it fits the 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 thing, the theme more. But I also don't feel confident about that either. Mm-hmm. Or because like it's at the point where it's like, man, was she even covered in blood? Like, <laughs> like know. if you told me she wasn't and that was all in her head, I'd I'd believe you. So, oh yeah, all right. absolutely. Anyway, we'll move on from there. Oh, uh, final rating and review, Corbin. This was your movie. You start. I feel like this is just such a well put together movie that there's no way I would ever give this a bad score. But at the same time, I just don't know if it was compelling enough to me. To really give... uh much higher yeah no i think that's fair i think i think i'm gonna give it a touch higher and give it that four and a half um it's tough to know or to ask 
what more this film could have done for me. And I'm not sure the answer is anything. Um, I don't think. Um, yeah, you know, it's again, it's those weird little intangible things that we've talked about mm-hmm. before. I have no idea what more this film could have done for me. Um, I loved it. It was great. Um, yeah. I'm going to cap. That's why I'm capping it out of four and a half because five doesn't sit right. But Right. And as much as there's not much I can complain about, not much I'd say were detrimental to the score or, or how I received it, at the end of the day, I liked this movie. I don't love this movie. And it's hard to, like, even if it is by all means objectively perfectly made, uh, I don't love it. And so it would be incredibly tough to give it higher than that so it's just one of those taste things that always ends up fucking us hey man i'm with you all right let's uh let's jump on over to our next film this is our oscars pick of the week it is uh 2020's soul uh which mm. corwin and i are anticipating on uh being nominated for if not almost certainly winning uh for best animated feature uh, coming out of Pixar, it is a uh, direct written and directed by Pete Doctor. Oh, that's uh, that's right. That's a fun name. Uh, imagine if he was a doctor. Do you have a doctorate? Oh, damn, yeah. we're on the same page, sir. I know. Uh, it was written and directed by Pete Doctor and Kemp Powers. Um, so this was this is a Doctor Powers film. Uh, <laughs> um, it was also co-written by Mike Jones, but that name's not as funny. Uh, <laughs> It stars Jamie Foxx, Tina Fey, and Graham Norton. Um, it, it, I, I don't see an estimated budget here. It has a cumulative worldwide gross of $47 million, but that's only climbing since this is still a pretty recent release, um, as it claims it came out on uh, Christmas Day. Um, but it is, a, it, is a, it is a streaming film, as most theaters are shut down forever. So... Uh, we'll we'll see what that looks like. This is it is still very new. Its tagline is "Everybody has a soul." Joe Gardner is about to find his. Uh, I don't like it. It's a kids' movie. I get it. Uh, yeah. It it ain't great, but I get it. Um, it has no major awards, nominations, nor wins because there have been no major awards yet since this film's come out. Um, it is about a musician who has lost his passion for music is transported out of his body and must find his way back with the help of an infant soul learning about herself. Um, So this was my pick, as Corin and I have been alternating on the Oscars picks. Um, So I guess I will go first. So I'd heard, as I've heard people talk about this one, that it it was a lot deeper than your average Pixar film, which I thought, huh, that's funky, because Pixar films are usually pretty fucking sad and deep in a lot of ways. That's the um, first note I have. Yeah, and, and yet, it still was. Because <laughs> um, yeah. it, 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 it grappled, it chose a lot of very big topics, um, which, again, you do get out of Pixar, but the two topics it really focused in on were why is life worth living and hey how about death um and those are like crazy big you know usually the big ones are like you know you look at tour story what does it mean to be a living thing you know or 
or, or how do what you know what is what are my friendships worth and stuff like that, which are obviously big topics. But I mean, these are two topics that get at the very idea of being alive, and those are big. Um, that that's a lot to it's a lot to digest. In terms of how this film was made, this is really ambitious because not it it it's telling a couple stories simultaneously. It's it's got I think probably two different A stories. Um, and eh, nah, it's still probably A and B with uh, Joe Gardner trying to get back to his body. Um, what Twenty Two is trying to do with its life, and what's going on with this musical production. And it manages to tell those, I guess, really three stories simultaneously to great effect. And that's really challenging. Um, obviously, the themes of this film being so large, it'll probably take some time to fully sit with me and whatnot. But um, I felt this movie a lot as someone who has played music my entire life and who is a fan of jazz. Um, I resonated with this film uh, in a lot of different ways. Um, granted, not nearly to the extent, since I'm not trying to be a professional musician, but um, still to have that base level of understanding of, of, of passion. Um, mm -hmm. I I connected with it in, in, in a, a lot of different little aspects. and Man, it yeah. was a fucking ride. So, Corin, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I definitely connected on some level to this. You know, I by all means, if you've heard me attempt to play an instrument of any capacity or, or heard me sing in any capacity, you know that music is not something I excel at. It is definitely not a passion of mine. I still enjoy it by all means, like anyone would, but it's not a passion. But at the same time, I have definitely struggled in the past with trying to find this this purpose, this overarching drive that'll push me forward through my career and my life and and the things that we all deal with as we you know reach that coming of age period in our lives where we need to find out what drives us what we're going to do with our lives what what do we want to do who do we want to be things like that and i think it's it's you know like many pixar movies it's made so that many many people of many different demographics and age groups can connect to it and and can relate on a you know extensive level um and you know this is not a movie i went in blind on obviously i've heard people discussing their thoughts on the film discussing you know whether they liked it or not you know i avoided all spoilers but you still hear positive negative things like that and for a brand new pixar film that was you know so hyped up it was really weird hearing how many people disliked this movie and, and for various reasons, I thought this was fantastic. I thought this was a, a tremendous message that they were delivering. Uh, I think they executed it in a, a incredible way where everything about it felt genuine just from the start, everything top to bottom just felt like this was a genuine, almost introspective story that, is really going to focus on these difficult topics like you mentioned that you know are touched on in other Disney and Pixar films but possibly not to this extent and possibly not something that would affect 
this many people because it's nearly universal, especially, you know, I don't know if this was something that was completed with production uh, by the time this whole quarantine started, but especially now with so many people stuck at home and, and really limiting options and availability, that's affecting a lot more people today than, you know, typically would. So I I really, really like this movie. I think this is one of the, the better Pixar movies to come out in the past couple of years. Uh, I definitely think this is going to end up being a shoe-in for Best Animated Feature. Um, I thought this was fantastic. I did take significantly more notes on this than I did for Black Swan, so definitely we'll have a, a good chunk to talk about here. Oh, well, I, uh, I, I have some notes, but I, I don't have too many because I, I really didn't want to tear my eyes away from this. Um, I am surprised to hear that you heard negative things about it. That's wild. I hadn't heard anything mm-hmm. negative about this, and I'm glad because I very much so enjoyed this. Um, I'm critic for it. So I guess let's let's take this movie chronologically, I think might be the easiest way of approaching it. Um, just because we have so much going on with it. Because also, in addition, I, I, like you, didn't look up anything about it beforehand, didn't know anything much about it beforehand other than it was about jazz um, and loosely finding your meaning in the world. And so when the film started off with... Um, and obviously, we're going through all the spoilers here, folks. This, the, We know it's a recent movie. Go fucking watch it. It's not our goddamn problem. Um, but, you know, with this movie starting off with joe teaching a middle school band class and everyone sucks but this one trombonist um and then getting offered that's right a a tromboner um every uh and then getting offered a job and him looking kind of reticent um followed immediately by him getting an offer not immediately but immediately for a movie getting followed up by an offer for him to audition to play in a jazz quartet i would have assumed that was the movie Mm-hmm. And I had understood, or I had uh, made a, a, a guess at what the t- what the subject or the title "Soul" was, being trying to find the soul within music. And I thought this was going to be a music movie. And so when he died, I very jarring. Oh my god! Yeah, very like, immediate. Because, because, and you know, Pixar did the thing that Pixar's so goddamn good at, which is table setting. That I was I was in the pocket in this movie, <laughs> ready to be like, just nothing but jazz. This whole movie's gonna be jazz. And we're gonna mm-hmm. talk about, you know, why why the fucking, you know, playing that F sharp when you're in the key of C might feel wrong, but it's super cool. And uh no, then he died. <laughs> and the movie immediately stopped being about jazz for as much of it as I was expecting it to. Mm-hmm. Where where were you when that happened? I at least knew that it was about like the afterlife. Uh, I at least saw those promos of you know the souls themselves and things like that. And and when it was announced, I kind of knew that you know the premise of the film, which was enough for me. Um, definitely wouldn't want to get any more than that. But it was surprising how quickly and how soon into this film that they are just full on into okay no this is this is death this is the afterlife you know i almost expected it to be a little bit more 
backstory, you know, getting to know the character a little bit more and, and whatnot. But I, I really did like that it was just, nope, he has this one singular action, this, that, okay, dead now. He finally got there and dead. And I, I liked it. I thought it worked well. Well, yeah, I think, because I, I think that's the thing that um, Pixar just does so excruciatingly well, and that is story structure. I mean, they, they under, and, you know, it, it always gets put on display with Up because of that nine minute intro scene, which is obviously good. I don't expect to hear me shit on it. Um, but it, it, it's true of all their films. They understand, and at least with how I like to watch movies, I want you to give me the least amount of information mm-hmm. for me to understand what's happening. Yeah. So my response to that was really, you know, Obviously, one, it's it's a kid's movie. You can't really be getting into, you know, interstellar level of of different dimensions and worlds, and, and you can't have that level of exposition. Uh, and at the same time, that's not the purpose of the film. It's it's not a world-building Lord of the Rings type film to immerse you and, and things like that. It's 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 meant to deliver this message. It's the same with any Disney or Pixar film where it's a message that they are trying to deliver in a enjoyable and easy to understand package uh, to a younger audience. And I think that's where this film does so well. Um, I don't think you need that kind of of building and and just in-depth uh exposition again or or storytelling like the deep layers of it in order to tell a compelling story in this kind of film and i think where it focuses its effort where its purpose is intended it does an excellent job yeah i i I would agree with you on this um and i think we're both usually ones to advocate for more stage setting um, in 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 regards to being able to feel an emotional impact here, but I I don't know what would be the benefit of having more world building around Joe Gardner the alive person, because very little of this film is about Joe Gardner the alive person, and I'm not sure how building more movie around Joe Gardner the alive person would help you to understand. Uh, 22 or Joe Gardner, the dead person, because those are very different characters and to spend more time sitting in the universe of pre death, Joe Gardner, no matter how long you're there for, it's not going to help you better understand post death, Joe Gardner, because every revelation he makes about his life, he makes after he dies. So there's no point in spending more time on it. Exactly. Excellent point. Uh, yeah. Um, and again, don't get me wrong. If, if, the, if the comment is that the beginning segment could have been the whole movie, I loved it so much. I would have loved a whole movie about that. Hey, I get that point because that's literally what I thought the movie was. <laughs> and I was excited. But it's not wrong for doing what it did. And I don't think it's I don't think it's to the film's detriment at all. Um. So I guess uh, I guess we'll take it from because we're, we're doing plot. So we'll take it from there. What did you think about the uh, the great beyond that black and white um, escalator to 
to the heavens. Uh, one point that the person I did talk to about this uh, brought up that, boy, I, I, I can't seem to get over is, how is this the first time anyone ever decided they didn't want to die? That just seemed kind of... It's, it's just crazy that no one really seemed prepared for this kind of situation. And it doesn't seem like that far-fetched of one in the first place. Uh, again, kids' movie doesn't need to be anything special, but you would kind of expect that aspect of it to kind of be pre-planned or expected, prepared for. I, I have I have a few comments in a similar vein to this, so this okay. I understand. Yeah. Um, and then again, I will say I find it hilarious that the afterlife is just essentially a, a poorly debugged video game where you're just kind of capable of just clipping through invisible walls to get to areas you're not supposed to. Maybe it's just like a little Easter egg, but <laughs> I think it's really funny that, you know, the entire premise of our, our reality and, and uh, you know, Earth itself is just one wall clip away from, from completely collapsing. Well, I, I think the idea with it is, because I had a similar thought with the um uh the soul the lost souls being so weirdly close to where all like the kitty souls are um and i think the idea is that it these places exist where wherever and whenever relates best to you and that they're all closer together in terms of um physically as demonstrated in this film and also ideologically uh closer together than you think um the idea that soul destruction heading into the afterlife is so near to soul creation the great before which is so near to to lost souls um which is also so near to the planet i think is meant to be symbolic in a way in addition to being very very convenient from a storytelling perspective. Oh yeah, I don't want that to be, you know, misconstrued as a complaint other than just or rather than just a that's kind of funny how those things both kind of work in a similar vein. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um So, I yeah, I I agree. It was my first thought too of wow, you'd think not saying everybody who who dies um should find peace. Uh, or has found peace, but you'd think you know this would happen. I don't know daily. Yeah. <laughs> people being like, I don't want to die. <laughs> With how many people die every day? You know, really? I uh, I know. <laughs> um, but I will say, for how many people die every day, their quality control department is very good. Yeah, yeah. Terry was really on it. Um, Terry's a dick, but he is on it. Uh. So so. Uh, Joe manages to get into the great before by mistake um, in which he discovers, you know, all the souls being created or being born, sown. I don't really know. Reaped. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, and tries to get back to earth with no luck and then gets roped into being a, um, uh, a guide, I guess, um, to a very cynical Tina Fey um, playing soul 22. And it was at that point, I thought that would be the whole movie. <laughs> Wrong again. Um, what Josh, did you think? Good at watching movies. 
Yeah, this movie. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Like this movie was so much more complicated than I thought it was going to be. Um, which I was really there for because they did such a great job with the storytelling. Um, but so what did you think about like that that second that second level of stage setting um, up in the great before time with all the Jerry's? I really don't have any strong feelings towards that. Um, it was something that I kind of saw and accepted as being okay. Yeah, it makes sense. Like you kind of need to have that kind of higher being group or role kind of fleshed out a bit just to make sense for why all of this, you know, exists. But it, I liked it. I didn't love it per se, you know, how it was set up. But at the end of the day, I, I am not about to complain about anything in that regard. So I, I had a couple thoughts on it. Uh, my first one being, I love the fact that the Jerry's are all gender neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a they had a Victor Victoria thing going on where half of their figure had like no I guess like big hair and was meant to be I guess relatively more of the masculine side of things and the other half had like long longer hair part meant to represent the feminine side of things they all had the same name and it was I guess a relatively gender neutral name I thought that was a nice touch on things um and I initially found the idea of the mentorship thing to be super lame um, because I was like, well, this is dumb to do this for all of them. Um, but as the movie plays out more, I started to like it as a concept more for a couple different reasons. And it's, it's one, I think the idea of this shared experience that being a human is and having some of that being passed down, I think I, I really enjoy that aspect of it. And mm-hmm. I like the fact that it's not just like, oh, look, there's Abe Lincoln and you know, it's like it's not it's not the afterlife. It's it's a step on the way, and that right. also allows for people to give a relatively informed experience point as to what's happening in the present. And you know, it would be weird if Socrates was telling you how to live in twenty twenty one. He has no idea. Um, even though it doesn't get quite that granular, although I guess it does in twenty two's experience. I, I did end up abruptly it is introduced I thought it was corny but see I liked the idea of having this stage before sir you formally you know as humans as people naturally have you know you know certain things just from birth that you're never taught pre-taught knowledge to some extent. And I like that they show it that we really, you know, As 
I'm with you. Um, <laughs> I, um, just blasting Maggie's farm. Um, super with it. Had a good time. It was that was for all the me's that were watching this movie. Um, and by mistake, uh, Joe Gardner and Twenty Two both go back to Earth when only Joe was supposed to go, and uh, uh, Twenty Two ends up in Joe Gardner's body, and Twenty and Joe Gardner ends up in a kid of cat's body, and uh, Twenty Two gets to experience Earth firsthand um, in an already existing human instead of as a baby. Um, and gets to go around and kind of actually experience some of what what uh, New York City has to offer. Um, so I guess give me what your concept around that entire segment is the the twenty two on Earth as Joe. Why why is it there? Or how did you take it in? Or whatever you feel like giving me. Well, I mean, I think it's there, obviously, to give her that sensual, you know, five sense feeling of what it like, what it is like to be alive. You know, that's something that's discussed that you can learn all you want about the world when you're in that pre-state. I already forget the name of the location. Excuse me. Great before. before. The great before. Thank you. Um, but you you can't know what it's like to to sensual sensationalize. Am I right in saying that? Did I pick the right word? No. Um, I think you're doesn't... just going for feel. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so it's, it's giving her that perspective of what real life and what living really is. And how it's not just, you know, grand always finding the driving factor for your life. It's just the little things, you know, little things you enjoy, little things you improve, things like this and that. And um, I get why it's there. Uh, I don't know. It, it's nothing special, I don't think. I don't so, think too much on the, the premise behind it or the, you know, deeper meaning behind it. I I think I think it's... I think it's a little bit of, um, you know, scenes in like shows or movies. Uh, I'm pretty sure you get this in like Seinfeld and shit, where it's like New Yorkers doing touristy things and then going, oh, you know, you never think to do about these things when you live here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, the Statue of Liberty, man. I haven't been to Statue of Liberty in years. You know, you don't only, you know, you don't really do these things when you're actually here. But wow, it's a really nice yeah. statue. Have you ever been to the Statue of Liberty? When I was a kid, yeah. That's back when you could climb up to the crown. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've, I've never been. It's big. <laughs> I imagine, it's, uh, yeah. It's real, real fucking big. Green. Um, but I, I, I think it's, it's a little bit of that. Because I, I think I was prepared for this movie at one point <laughs> to be about what they said it was going to be about. Which is, hey, you have to help Twenty Two find, uh, find its spark. You know, uh, maybe it's food, maybe it's jazz, maybe it's punching things, and for them to fixate on, here's what I am, and fixate an identity towards a person. You know, like I like food, therefore I am the food person. I'm the chef. Mm-hmm. I'm the food critic. I'm the eater, whatever. And instead, what this movie said, fuck all that. You're going to be you and yeah. you're going to be alive. And that's good enough. 
you're going well, to enjoy eating pizza because it's fun. You're going to enjoy a nice fall day because it feels nice. Um, you're going to chit chat with the barber about life because you liked that conversation. And it doesn't matter if you are good at jazz or bad at jazz or you're a good chef or a bad chef or whatever. You're going to be a person. And getting to be a person is the ride. Mm -hmm. And even on top of that, it's not even just, no, you're going to be a person. You can't just be one individual fact. You can't just be tall guy. You can't just be Jewish Josh. You can be whatever you want to be. You could be any sort of connection between the two 22 can just be a person that's living and enjoying life but at the same time joe can come in and be you know everything he wants to be in life at the end of the day if that's what his purpose is if he was if he he views life as just a way to do it and I really liked that it wasn't just, no, you can't just be one individual aspect of a person. You can't just have one thing driving you. By all means, you should be a well-rounded person. What have you? You have that freedom to do that because you're human and you can. And I like that it, it really opened that up just a, a little bit to allow for that. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the fucking head again. Um, I, I, because when they're on Earth, Joe is pushing 22 to be his idea of Joe Gardner. Because there, there's a pressure element to it. You know, it's like, I have to be here at this time. I have to look like this. And all those things are true. And the, the, the nice thing about this film, too, is that it doesn't disparage any of it. You know, mm -hmm. it's not like a worse version of this movie has um, Joe Gardner being uh, an accountant who discovers that he hates accounting because he hates corporate America and instead becomes a jazz musician. And it follows, falls in that line of like, fuck your desk job. The arts are the only way to find happiness. Right. Which is a film we've seen so many times. Which, on it's one not hand... accurate. No. I was going to say, for, on the one hand, it's not accurate. Because I, I work a desk job. And I like working a desk job. Um, and, and also, as this film points out, just because you're doing it as, a, as an artist doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be happy. Um, this is one of our complaints when Corwin and I talked about um, uh, Sorry to Bother You. Anyway, I I I love that this film showed that you don't have to be all about one thing and that being a person can be a lot more than just being your art or your passion. Because um, Joe Gardner, as played by 22, is a wildly different joe gardner as played by joe gardner but it's still joe gardner that's still him mm -hmm. and the realization joe makes at the end 
isn't that he doesn't like jazz or isn't that he doesn't want to be a musician. His realization at the end is that I got shown that I can still be me in every way that I was being me, but just have a better understanding of what it means to be a person outside of the hobby I'm in. I I don't know if I agree that 22 in the body of Joe is still Joe. I think that's... I a, mean, in a literal a sense. Bit... They are both literally Joe Garden. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, um, sorry. No, it's 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 really just a, a metaphysical conversation at that point. Um, yeah, I just thought all of the aspects of how they came to this realization and under you know showing that you need to understand another's perspective like walking a mile in their shoes um knowing what it's like to go through life in that capacity i think the way they all they set that all up was very effective in in their portrayal and and how it should work so uh i th- i thought it was a, a really well done all around um premise but again, we've been saying that from the start. Right. Um, so eventually they, uh, they manage to, to revert the body swap. Joe gets his body back. 22 goes back to being a, um, goes back to the great before. Um, but Joe hurts 22's feelings along the way um, and has to go back to the great before again to try to reconcile and to show 22 that life is worth living and that he was wrong. And, you know, there's something out there for it and all those types of things. Um, I don't, do you have anything to say about that segment? I'm not sure I do. Um, maybe I don't think so. Um, It it was, it was pretty straightforward problem resolution. No, I don't think so. And if I do, I'll bring it up later. All right. Um, so finally, uh, Joe gets back to his body one last time and goes on to go play with uh, Dorothea's quartet, which was uh, the goal from the beginning of the film. Um, and he has a great performance, kills it. In the zone, whole nine. Uh and then as he's leaving, he has a conversation with Dorothea about whether this life was meant for him and, or, you know, or, or what the music industry entailed. And then I forget who he was addressing quite at the literal end where he said something along the lines of, uh, Joe, what are you going to do then? And he said, I don't know, but I'm going to live some shit like that. Um, so what do you make of the actual ending of this? Cause it ends with Joe walking out of his apartment complex or apartment building one more time. And, you know, kind of just being, being Joe and seemingly nothing much has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what, how, how do you absorb the ending? I liked it again, just like the, you know, the last movie we discussed, um, leaving it open-ended and up, for interpretation is I like it, especially, you know, it's not something I will like universally, 
But in both of these cases, it definitely has seemed to be something that is effective. And, you know, you don't, you need to face your own shortcomings in life. And I, I think the way they do that with Joe and, and having 22 go through, you know, his life as him and, and everything involved of seeing how his life would be different if there was just small changes in how he approached it and opening up to different things. I liked it. I liked it a lot. And I think that that portrayal and leaving him to face that and have that realization and then finishing it up with the mindset of, okay, I can now go out into my life and do whatever I need to do to make my life better and, and improve my quality of life and having the world in front of him with this new mindset. I don't think you need to see the, the tangible changes that he makes you can have that faith that it's just, it's going to happen. So I like the ending, you know, I thought it worked well. What do you think about the, uh, the, the, the small twist that the film um, offers up, which is that the spark isn't the thing that you were born to do. Cause the whole film, you know, you're under the assumption that the, the spark, that missing bit that uh, everyone uh, gets before they exit the great before is what you're going to do in life. And Joe was like, my spark is jazz because I'm a jazz musician and I love jazz. And the, uh, one of the Jerry's was like, Oh, you silly humans. Um, the, you know, your spark isn't what you're meant to do. Um, what do you then think that 22's spark was? And, or what do you think Joe's spark was? Well, I guess Joe's spark was inspiring others. You know, you see it at the start with him trying to get that, you know, prodigy student of his to, to find a passion and, and find that passion through music. Um, and he seems to excel in that capacity very well. Uh, again, bad English sentence, but whatever. Um, it really just seems to be helping others and helping others to an extent of, you know, finding their passion, finding their own spark, being that, that teacher, that role model, um, you know, whatever you want to call it and, and do that for, for others. Yeah. Um, again, we are on the same page here. Um, you know, the, one thing, though, I would like to have been different in regards to the um, the trombonist that he helps inspire. Tromboner, yep. I wish he was worse at the trombone. Right, and just not have it be just like, oh, obviously she's going to play trombone because she's like 10, incredibly good at it. That's an incredible you know, future ahead of her to do so. Well, yeah, it, it, it's definitely that. And it's also the idea of, look, look, man, I've worked with kids for a long fucking time. Mm -hmm. um, I have worked with some very, very talented kids who were going to be good at martial arts, whether they had me as their instructor or not. You know, like some people are just built to do the thing, you know, and. I'm, again, I'm not trying to say that, like, you know, seeing a, one kid succeed versus another kid brings you any greater or worse satisfaction. You know, seeing and, and all your kids 
eventually go on to do well brings you satisfaction. But it is a little bit different when the kid is into it and really trying and doesn't have the inherent talent that some of the other kids might that leads them to succeed. Because that girl at 10, or however old she is, she's she was going to be good at the trombone no matter what. She was going to be good at trombone whether she had Joe Gardner as a teacher or not. Because at, at some level, it, it, it really is just within you or how you're built. To see someone be a little bit worse, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying bad, I'm saying miss some notes, bad timing, something like that, where, where Joe is genuinely the reason this kid is still doing it. And not just from that one scene we got in the stairwell, but but from you know whenever that kid picked up the trombone at the beginning of it, um, at the beginning of, the, of their life, that I think would resonate just a little bit differently, because that kid doesn't necessarily stick with the instrument. That kid mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily stay in the martial arts class. That kid's staying because of you. Right. Okay. At least in some part. No, I completely get what you're trying to say. Um. But yeah, I, I I fully agree with you. I I think Joe's Joe's spark is is absolutely the inspiration of others. I mean, it's what he spent the entire movie doing. Um, mm-hmm. He literally like, literally went back at risk of being caught to the great before just to make sure he finished his his little inspiration segment with twenty two. Um, speaking of which, what do you think twenty two's um, spark was? I it's hard to say. Is it just? enjoying like it i remember it being discussed i cannot remember what the you know the final summation was like what the agreed upon uh standard was for for why she earned that last uh piece of the the what do you call it the the badge right i don't think it was ever officially revealed I think it's an interpretation part here. Okay, but well, what, I, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I, I was gonna—I was actually gonna agree again. I think it was just living life, um, and I think part of the reason, because you also have to think, it's something that she's not going to get, or it. I don't try not to gender this not—not not even fetus of a of a of a thing. Um, it's something that that it couldn't get in the great before, you know, where you can do anything but live. You know, I mean, just by process of elimination, it's literally the one thing that 22 would not have gotten to do had it not gone to Earth. And it seems pretty baked into what we saw. So, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it really just is like a lust for life kind of thing. Cool. You know, by all means, that's a pretty great spark to have. If you can just go through life with that just happiness of being alive and going through it and experiencing it. I think already you are, you know, regardless of the rest of your mental makeup or, you know, physical mental abilities, you're at a very good position in life uh, to set yourself up for a successful, happy life. And that's why I'll never be successful. Yep. Same here. Um, all right, la- last last question for you uh, before I guess we can start wrapping it up since this one's gone for a sure, little bit, sure. which is good. We've had a lot of things to say. Um, my other complaint, <laughs> and this is this is obviously something they wouldn't have done because this is a kids' movie, but 
Joe fell down a goddamn manhole. He whether he died or not is kind of inconsequential. He is beyond fucked up. Like the fact that his legs weren't broken or his arms weren't broken or he didn't have a scratch on him. Yeah, like, how, how does like, that work? My you guy was in a coma. Any... Huh. I no point did I think of that leading into this. You know, because like it's, it's not like such a significant issue of like you just kind of went back into your own body, but there's nothing wrong. Right. Huh. And it might sound stupid, like, hey, maybe it'd be better if it was like a heart attack or something. Um, because at least that's not like externally physical. And I get you know, I guess people do recover from heart attacks. Um, right. To varying degrees of intensity. Um, no, he died from blunt force trauma. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he died from pain. <laughs> hmm. That is a bit of a loophole right there. Not even a loophole, but uh, a plot hole. <laughs> yeah. Also, he a hundred percent would have sued the city. He he lived every New Yorker's dream. Uh huh. I'm not even from New York, but I know I, I want to fall in a, a manhole cover. Everybody wants to fall in a manhole cover. That is literally every New Yorker's dream. Just like <laughs> it's it's every college student's dream to get hit by a campus bus. Mm-hmm. Or an expensive car. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're not picky. No, no. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to get hit by that 05 Accord, but I will definitely get hit by that 2019 BMW. Oh yeah, finally have something to blame my back pain and knee pain on. Oh yeah, no, it's never been an issue before. I have no idea how this came about. I was a, I was the the picture of health before this. <laughs> I was on my way to run a double marathon. What are you talking about? I was shorter. <laughs> <laughs> I was taller. Um, but yeah, that it 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 bothered me, and again. Obviously, they wouldn't show that in a kid's film of him just being like beyond fucked up, um, especially in a film where like he needs to be able to move around and be goofy and play music. But um, it would make I was definitely it would make the last couple acts significantly more difficult to implement. Yeah, if he's in like a wheelchair. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I. I, I'm, honestly, I could, could keep talking about this for like a while, mm. um, but I I think we should uh, we should wrap up since we've been going for quite a bit. Absolutely. Um, all right, this was this was uh, my pick, so I guess I'll start with the final ra- ratings and review. Um, I I definitely still again, like I said at the top, I definitely still need to finish digesting this because it's a very um, it's a film that asks you a lot of questions and certainly has some answers of its own, but it's, it's going to be very much up to you how you digest it. So I still need to do, I think more of that. I, even though I watched this a few days ago now, um, regardless, I'll, I'm going to give this four and a half. Probably. I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't feel fully comfortable with the full five and I don't know why. Um, I have no clue, but I, from a story structure perspective, this was great voice acting. We didn't even talk about it, but Tina Fey was great. 
Jamie Foxx was fucking flawless. Um, everybody you involved with this was, was awesome. Jamie Foxx. He was great. Yeah. He was great. Um, every, that dude from the It crowd was great, or the IT crowd, however you're supposed to say it. Um, I, like, like the cast in this film was was also just wonderful. Um, and it, I think it did what it did very effectively. Um, again, I still need to sit on it a bit more, and there's something in my gut preventing that last half a star. But um, mm-hmm. still, still such a good movie. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right there with you. Um, I'm also going to give this a four and a half. Uh, I thought it was, you know, visually, I thought it was really great and really unique. Um, the music was tremendous, obviously, you know, a movie about jazz. It, it was fantastic to listen through. Um, I, again, like, I don't have any issues with this. I have nothing I think this this movie needed to add. I really just love being able to sit back and and enjoy this and and it really honestly at the end of the day it made me want to go back and watch Palm Springs again. Oh, okay. Um but yeah, this was a tremendous movie. Not quite enough at this point to give it that full 5. Like you said, you need to sit on it a little bit kind of see how it, it it plays itself out and and how it ages but by all means right now fantastic all Four right uh then let's get into next week's picks again we're still moving through oscar zz picks um as we as we approach the the big day uh, as we wait for our the the true nominations to come out uh corwin has the next oscars pick uh, on the list coming up. So, Corey, why don't you reveal what, we, what we're working with for next week? Uh, I'm going with... Uh, I forget, honestly, what it's even nominated for. I don't, I don't think I have that up anymore. But we have it predicted to be nominated now. for Best Lead Actor and Best Supporting Actor. Okay. I'm all for that. Um, the Sound of Metal. Right on. I'm very excited for this one. Um so. Uh, Corwin and I discovered that it is currently streaming on Amazon Prime. If anyone has Amazon. Oh, you damn it. Uh, All right, so that's The Sound of Metal. That is our Oscars pick. Uh, We're saving the Best Picture likely nominees for later, so we're still moving through um, some of the other categories. Um, So we have a list. Uh, We're working our way through it. We'll get there. We promise it'll be fun. Um, So Sound of Metal is next up. Uh, for my non-Oscars pick going into next week, I have a relatively recent release that I just saw made its way to HBO Max, The King of Staten Island. Ooh, great movie. Have not seen it. I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, so we got another couple, another pair of recent films to, to get through with next week. So definitely uh, check them out. Uh, of course, if you um, plan on listening next week, and don't want to hear spoilers, watch the fucking movie, because uh, we're not here to dance around the subject, folks. Um, So definitely check out The Sound of Music. Not The Sound of Music. The Sound of Metal. Son of a bitch. Oh, hey, watch The Sound of Music, too. It's a good movie. Um, Sound of Metal and The King of Staten Island. Uh, If you want to follow follow us on Twitter, you can do so at Big Screen Juice. And if you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at juicingthebigscreen at gmail.com. And until next Tuesday, y'all have a good one.
Goodbye.